Please take your Bibles and turn to Matthew's Gospel. Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. Chapter 15. Um, if you need a Bible, the chair in front of you, black Bible, pull that out. Go to the back of that Bible and find page 12. Page 12 in that black Bible. You'll find Matthew chapter 15. We'll do the first 20 verses this morning. Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. I'll read and then we'll jump in with both feet. Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. Then coming to Jesus from Jerusalem, Pharisees and scribes said, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And answering, he said to them, And why do you yourselves transgress the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and the one who speaks evil of father or mother shall be put to death. But you say, Whoever shall say to father or mother anything of mine you might have been helped by is Corbin, given. He's not to honor his father or his mother. And you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your tradition, hypocrites. Rightly Isaiah prophesied of you, saying, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far, far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as teachings the precepts of men. Verse 10. And after calling the multitude, he said to them, Hear and understand, not what enters into the mouth defiles the man, but that which proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. Then the disciples coming to him said, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this word? But answering he said, Every plant my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Verse 15. And Peter answering him said, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you still senseless also? Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and goes into the latrine? But that which comes out proceeds out of the mouth come from the heart. And those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are that which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. Thomas A. Terence is president emeritus of the C.S. Lewis Institute, which he served from 1998 to 2019. Prior to working at the Institute, he was co-pastor of a multiracial church in Washington, D.C. Terrence, he grew up in the 60s, went to church regularly, I believe it was in the South. He made a profession of faith when he was 13. And during that time, he decided to be a person who was fighting for God and country. 
And yet in his mind, fighting for God and country meant embracing far-right extremism with its hatred of blacks, Jews, communists, socialists, and liberals. He continued that trend into his late teens and 20s. As far as he was concerned, these had to be stopped at all costs. So one night, he and an accomplice attempted to bomb the home of a Jewish businessman in Meridian, Mississippi, but the house was staked out by a police SWAT team. The accomplice he was with was killed. He was shot four times at close range with shotgun fire. When he got to the hospital, the doctor said, it'd be a miracle if he lived 45 minutes. He says this in a quote about himself. Quote, but God had mercy on me and miraculously spared my life. If, there were the, if ever there was a time to repent of my sins and turn to Christ, it was then, but I was dead in my trespasses, end quote. Story continues on. He was sentenced to 30 years in the Mississippi State Penitentiary, which I guess at that time was just horrible. One of the worst in the country. He actually made a plan and he carried it through. A plan to escape. He escaped, but two days later he was found by the FBI. An inmate that was with him was killed by gunfire, which actually should have been him. He went back to prison, to a solitary cell. He says this in a quote, quote, when someone is blind and dead in sin, rational considerations alone can't bring them to life, end quote. He tried to get catch up on his reading on all the anti-Semitic literature, and then somehow it started to turn towards uh, reading Western civilization books, and then Western civilization philosophers. Ended up reading the Gospels, believe it or not, And God did an amazing work in his heart there in solitary confinement. He says this, quote, Unbeknownst to me, a group of women had read about me in the newspaper and had been praying weekly for two years that God would save and use me for his glory. The leader of this prayer group was the wife of the FBI agent who orchestrated my capture in Meridian. Not long after I started reading the Gospels, my eyes began to be open. And then he quoted from Jonathan Edwards, quote, a divine and supernatural light imparted to the soul, end quote. My many sins began flooding to mine, he continues, and with them conviction, repentance, and tears of confession. One night, I knelt on the floor of my cell and prayed a simple prayer to Jesus, asking for forgiveness and offering my life to him if he wanted it. It felt like a thousand pounds had been lifted from my shoulders. Something changed inside of me and I haven't been the same since. He continues, I woke the next day to find that I was now spiritually alive and God was real to me. I had an immediate appetite to read the Bible, pray and live for God. The more I read the Bible, the more I grew. God gave me love for people I once hated and has helped me to change in many other ways. Miraculously, I was released from prison in 1976 after serving 
eight years. And from 1978 to the present, I've been an active, I've been active in ministry. End quote. Now that's a transformation. Praise the Lord. But whether you're like Thomas Terrence or a kid who grows up in the church, this is what we all need to bow down and worship Jesus, the Messiah, King of Israel. We need transformation. This is what this passage is about here in chapter 15. We need transformation to be a person who's going to bow down and worship Jesus, who is the Messiah, King of Israel, you and I need to be transformed from the inside out. We need transformation. Or to put it in a statement, we need God to bring a transformation to our hearts. Only a transformed heart can bow down in word-obeying, God-submitting, Jesus-devoted worship. Only God can change the heart. And not only does he do this with the unsaved, but as his Jesus followers, as his own, uh, on Wednesday nights we've been going through that book, Real Change. We've been talking about that. The gospel is not just for the unsaved, it's for the saved. That's how we grow, that's how we change. It's by the gospel truth. Don't be duped and deceived into thinking, the gospel is just for the unsaved. No, Christian, it's for you. So you can be changed and transformed by the power of the Spirit, by the gospel. Impurity does not come from missing some physical ritual or regulation on ceremonial cleanliness. <clears throat> cleanliness is not next to godliness. Okay, nobody answered. Okay, never mind. It's like a little quote plaque there. If some of you were older, maybe you remember that. Okay, never mind. Uh, impurity comes from within. Evil is in our hearts, and not just in villains. It's in everyone. Jesus comes into contact with these Pharisees. Now, in the initial part, the Pharisees, it was a good thing. They, they treasured the law. They, they, they wanted to study it diligently. They desired to obey God. So they wanted to obey the law, and they wanted to help God's people obey it. But unfortunately, instead of having God's word as authoritative, they began to have their traditions as authoritative. They ended up going too far, putting their traditions way ahead of the word of God. There needs to be transformation, not tradition. So let's put this passage up in the two parts. We're actually going to look at verses 10 through 20 first. Because first we're going to see our need for a transformed heart. There is internal impurity Verses 10 through 12, our need for a transformed heart because we have internal impurity. And we'll talk about the Pharisees coming to Jesus. We'll talk about that. I'll make that connection, blah, blah, blah. So Jesus ended up talking with the Pharisees. They confronted him, blah, blah, blah. And then here he turns to the crowd, with the Pharisees still there, in verse 10, 
he took the opportunity to teach the crowd. Notice what he says here in verse 10. Hear and understand. That's important, that word understand. Remember Jesus used that in chapter 5? Remember Jesus used that in chapter 13? When it comes to hearing the word, you must understand it. So that's why he says, hear and understand. Verse 11. It's not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth. This defiles the man. True purity is not about keeping some ritual that protects your mouth from what may enter. It's a matter of the heart, and what comes out of the mouth will show what is in the heart. Because that's the root. That's the center. As the old school rap song goes, see what's in my heart will soon come out. Now this is a radical statement for them to hear. Their whole lives were about keeping this ritual. We'll talk about it in a moment what that meant. How this was a wash their hands as, as a ritual, ceremonially type thing. Not because you're afraid of germs, like me. But they were supposed to do this every time they ate. Every single time. So to say what goes in doesn't defile you was diametrically opposed to what they were taught by the Pharisees. True ethical purity starts from within. To truly respond in word obeying, God submitting, faith bowing, worship, it must start from within, not by keeping some ridiculous external human-made tradition. It's about God's word and welcoming it to change you. Notice the disciples kind of got a little nervous here. There's 12 disciples came and said, you know the Pharisees were offended by this word. Now, now offended or, or stumbled. Now, either they were fearful of this because they feared his words would intensify the opposition that was against them from the Pharisees, or they feared it because they were nervous about Jesus confronting these guys. See, these guys were the rock stars of the day. You didn't do that with Pharisees. Well, either way, Jesus didn't care. If you want to see sarcasm from Jesus, here's where you see sarcasm from Jesus. First, he says, verse 13, but answering, he said to them, every plant my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. Guess what, guys? I don't care. Jesus didn't care because God did not plant these fakers and they will inevitably be uprooted anyways at the last judgment. They'll be held accountable for these actions. See, they proudly appealed, we know the ways of God and yet they were far from it. Far from it. And and here's the sarcasm. Verse 14. Leave them alone. They're blind guides leading the blind. One writer called this, quote, bitingly sarcastic language, end quote. Don't let yourselves be concerned about them. They haven't got a clue. Don't worry about offending them because guess what? Their opposition against me is permanent. So 
Who cares? A blind man leads another blind man. Guess what? They're both going to fall into a pit. Don't take a rocket scientist to figure that out, guys. Instead of leading people to truth and the true worship of God, they led them far away from God and they would cloud the truth. They were blinded to the truth themselves. They thought they could see John chapter 9, but they were blind. Oh, notice what Peter does. Jesus is teaching on true purity and worship, confused the disciples. So the spokesman, he speaks up. Verse 15, explain the parable to us. It was so much part of their everyday life. It threw them off. Jesus, we don't understand. And notice Jesus, his question, it's almost a rebuke. Are you still lacking in understanding is how it's translated in New American Standard. But literally is, it's like this. Are you still senseless? <laughs> Are you still foolish? Jesus was rebuking them, eh? They should have figured it out by now. You guys don't know? 17. Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is literally goes into the latrine? That's how it is from the Greek. I don't know why it says eliminated. It's just weird. It it's literally goes into the latrine. The latrine. That's how it's actually translated. What goes into your mouth, clean or unclean, passes through the body. What does your body do? It uses what it needs, and the rest becomes waste, and it's emptied into the latrine. We all know how that goes. (laughs) Whether you're the President of the United States or some dude in Timbuktu, this is how it goes. Nothing remains to defile the person. Ah, verse 18. But that which proceeds out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. What comes out of the heart, out of the mouth comes out of the heart because the mouth speaks from that which fills the heart. Chapter 12, verse 34. It's not the first time Jesus says this. The heart is a source of purity or impurity. It's the real source of our problem. Notice what he does. He starts to unpack what this means for out of, out of the heart come. And notice how it begins. Evil thoughts. The first one of the seven Jesus listed was evil thoughts. From internal thoughts proceed evil words and deeds. These are the vices that defile. Murders, adulteries, fornications, adultery, sexual action involving married people, fornications, adultery, uh, sexual action involving singles, gossiping, which is a bad talking about another, that's slander, false witnessing, testifying, telling lies. It all starts on the inside. (laughs) 
It's sad when we cannot trust what people say. That's the reason we all take issue with politicians. Because we can't trust what they say. They say one thing and they do another. So this should not be the case among us as members of Cottonwood Bible Church. We should be mindful of what comes out of our mouths because it comes from the heart. James understood this in his letter. James chapter four, we must not allow certain desires, personal desires and lusts to be what drives us to action. We've been looking at this in James chapter four in that book, Real Change. We looked at that last Wednesday. And actually the cross-reference in that chapter was Mark chapter seven, which is the cross-reference to here in Matthew chapter 15. We allow desire to grow into something we think we really need, and then becomes a matter of entitlement, then demand. And that's why James mentions in James chapter 1, verse 14, we are carried away by our own lust, which starts from within. This is why we as Christians need constant transformation, real change. Real change happens for those who are on addiction on the inside out alcohol, drugs. Real change happens from the inside out from those dealing with same-sex attraction. From the inside out. Real change happens from the inside out. And they're saying that, I mean, psychologists, psychiatrists, they will um, write prescription for, for drugs and things like that for people in reference to their depression, reference to their anxiety and things like that. And for some people that helps them but it doesn't deal with the why. The why is this. Why is that person depressed? Why is that person dealing with anxiety? Why is that person dealing with same-sex attraction? Why is that person dealing with that addiction? Because it needs to be something where it starts from the heart. You have to look at the heart desires. That's the whole point of biblical counseling. Biblical counseling deals with issues of the heart. And it's not to say that you don't use certain uh, antidepressants or things like that to help people. Interesting, some of the t- studies that they did, they actually gave people placebos of like certain drugs uh, that are depressed and miraculously it helped them. We are in a day and age where when you're given a pill, you're thinking it's gonna help you. Interesting article. But regardless, I mean, Using certain drugs, psychotic drugs, whatever. Sure, if it works, great. But let's deal with the issue of the heart. That's really what we're going to be talking about. That's biblical counseling. So what was Jesus saying here about these dietary restrictions and purification laws? Well, Jesus came to fulfill the law not to abolish it. He fulfilled it by showing that ultimately defilement is a matter of the inside of the heart. And when it came to these dietary laws that the Jews had, God gave them these laws, the laws to Israel, as a way for them to display holiness externally, which reflected their holiness internally. At least that was the idea. Israel was called to be different, even in the very things that they ate. Why? As a way to reflect to the world 
They were separate. They were different. They were set apart. They were holy. Now we think about rituals, uh, ceremonial laws type stuff. And for some of us who maybe come from Roman Catholic backgrounds, it's what you think about. You have to buy by rituals, right? And yet the gospel has been lost in Roman Catholicism. Some might think of Eastern Orthodox Church, same thing. All these rituals, not true worship. But this is a great lesson for us as evangelical Protestants, even for us as Baptists, Southern Baptists. This is good for us. Because we have various denominational traditions that we put in the position of authority over Scripture. Like a certain style of music. Altar calls. Now it's not that those traditions are wrong. Since they may have developed as ways we uh, apply Scripture. Right? But it can't be about that tradition. It has to be about Scripture. All our ideas, practices, and traditions must be governed, even driven by God's Word alone to the best of our ability. True worship of God begins from the heart. It brings that person to a place where they bow down and worship Jesus. That's why if you're here and you're not a Christian, you need to respond by bowing down and worshiping Jesus. You need to understand that this is going to start from here. Not from this speaking and singing and lifting your hands and praying. No, it doesn't start there. It starts down here. The heart, the centerpiece where you think, you feel, your will. This is where it starts. This is where you need to see your need for Jesus and to respond in repentant faith. You need Christ. Respond. Trust Christ and he will save you. So this is this first point, how internal uh, impurity starts internally. Now, the next point is this. The results of a transformed heart, real obedience. The result of a transformed heart is real obedience. We looked at our need for a transformed heart because there's internal impurity. Now the result of a transformed heart, this is where we go to verses one through six. Real obedience. Notice verse one. Coming to Jesus from Jerusalem, scribes and Pharisees said, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. The last time the legal experts were mentioned in Matthew's gospel was back in chapter 12. But now, oh, they sent the big guns. The big guns from Jerusalem came down. It wasn't just the Galilean Pharisees. It was the Jerusalem scribes and Pharisees coming. So maybe this was like an official inquiry. It tells us the kind of reputation Jesus had and the measure of hostility against him. So they accused Jesus' disciples of not following the ceremonial oral traditional law to wash their hands before eating a meal. So here's the thought process, okay? You have unclean hands and you're around all these dirty little Gentiles, these non-Jews, ill. You're all non-Jewish, so it's okay. Um, Unclean hands, you touch your food 
And then you're making the food now unclean. And then once the food is eaten, the person becomes unclean. That was their thought process. And with all these Gentiles around, that's why they called the people to ritually cleanse their hands. And the disciples didn't do it because Jesus didn't do it, because Jesus didn't care. It wasn't so much like an accident, oh, we shouldn't, oh, I guess we should have done that. No, he specifically did not follow it. But the attack had nothing to do with following biblical Old Testament law. There was no direct violation of Scripture. It was about the oral law. Now, there is an Old Testament law that's written for the priests to purify themselves. The priests were supposed to do this. What the Pharisees did, they made it something binding upon all Jews. That's what they did. And so the tradition became, one writer put it like this, a fence around the law. The elders, they were the great ones of the past who, who gave them the right way. Now the Pharisees, they believed that God had also revealed to Moses the traditional oral law to explain the written law. Now, Jesus didn't buy that and the Sadducees didn't buy it either. The Sadducees, they blew that off just as much as Jesus did. But notice how Jesus responds. Look at verse 3. Answering, he said to them, and why do you yourselves transgress the command of God for the sake of your tradition? Twice, he says, your tradition in this passage. He answered their question with a question, strongly confronting them on how they had transgressed the word of God for the sake of of their traditions. They were more willing to abide by their traditions than to abide by the word of God. They were more willing to break God's word than to break their traditions. Friends, it's scary if churches are more willing to keep their traditions as sacred instead of letting God's word rule. We are in danger of that. Every week we're in danger. that we allow our traditions or how we do things to be sacred instead of letting God's word rule. Here's the example that he gives. Look at verse four. For God said, honor your father and mother, and the one who speaks evil of father and mother shall be put to death. Honoring your parents, positive. The forbiddance of slander, a negative. Quotes from the fifth commandment, Exodus chapter 20, Deuteronomy 5. And then he quotes from Exodus chapter 21, and De- excuse me, Leviticus chapter 20, about speech towards parents. Interesting. This is what God's word said. You honor your parents even in one's speech, what comes out of the mouth. Interesting. So this is what God's word says, verse 5. But you say... Whoever shall say to father or mother, anything of mine you might have been helped, has been literally given or Corbin. Verse 6, he's not to honor his father or his mother. What is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about what's known as Corbin. Which is the, the word is actually a good thing. Corbin came to mean setting aside something uh, to be given or, or dedicated to God. That's what Corbin meant. Hebrew word. 
which included funds that were pledged, pledged to the temple. So, a child could claim the inability to an obligation to the parents because she or he pledged it to God, yet there was no money that was exchanged. In other words, they rashly vowed X amount of resource to God, but not really given anything. So here's the idea. Uh, funds should be given to help them. Oh, sorry, Mom and Dad. Can't help you. Corbin. Sorry. Can't help you. That's Corbin. I know this was to help you in your old age. Can't do it. It's Corbin. And what happened here, the Pharisees, they honored this rash vow. Someone, like someone, they said, oh, I vow these things to God. And, and they go, oh, that was a rash vow. Well, you made that vow, so you have to keep that vow. The Pharisees honored this rash vow, and notice Jesus says, they neglected the word of God. One writer put it like this, pious fraud. That's why Jesus says here in verse, verse six, and you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You nullify God's word. Notice the huge contrast between God's word and human tradition in that their tradition rendered void the word. It was about their rules, not God's word. It was about their rules, not the truth. It's about their traditions, not what the Word of God says. And here in verses 7 through 9 is what I call the nexus, the connection between verses 1 through 6 and verses 10 through 20. You have this connection here between the worship of the heart and how the internal impurity of heart, the impurity starts from the internal aspects of the heart. Notice the nexus verses seven through nine. Look at what he says. Hypocrites. Rightly Isaiah prophesied of you saying this people honors me with their lips but their heart is far, far away from me. They had external obedience to the law all the while they were internally disobeying the truth. They would say all the right things, but they didn't really mean it. It was an outward show. It was all a sham. Here is the crux. Here's the connection. We need a transformed heart, and when you have a transformed heart, it will result in obedience. If you don't have a transformed heart, you will not obey God. That's what Jesus is saying. And he points it out here. It's not a matter of some behavioral violation. It's a violation of the heart deep down inside the center of your being. Isaiah spoke this of the people back then and here you have greater fulfillment even in the day of Jesus. This people honors me with their lips but their heart is far, far away from me. It was all about empty worship stemming from their own traditions. They disobeyed God's authoritative word. They only gave lip service to God and his word. 
But the truth was their hearts were far, far away. They worshiped God in vain. They just went through the motions. And their worship was empty because they needed a transformation. Corbin was false piety, engaging only in mere lip service, not true worship of God. God's word deals with the heart and our response to it should come from the heart in true heartfelt worship. And when God does a transformation, we'll produce that. A word obeying God submitting Jesus devoted worship. I can give you all the different aspects for you. But I cannot make you worship God. I cannot make you respond in submission to God. I've never been able to do that. In the 13 years I've been here, I've never been able to do that for you. And I never will. I can give you vehicles through this, through this, through this, through this, through this, but I cannot change your heart. I can't. I can't change my own heart. God needs to do a work where I work through him, he works in me. One writer put it like this, quote, punctilious performance of rites and ceremonies is no substitute for genuine inward devotion. Just because you come to church, and you should even say that anyways. You don't come to church, we are the church. It's people. Just because you come to church, that doesn't mean anything. Who cares? Because your heart could be far away. Why do you come here? Why do you come? Why are you here? What's the point of you coming? What's the point of us coming? Why do you do this? Because you're supposed to. Because it's your tradition. Notice what Jesus says in verse 9. In vain do they worship me, teaching as teachings the precepts of men. Look, people who truly worship Messiah King will teach others God's word, not their traditions. To direct them to Christ and the truth, not to their man-made laws or rules. The focus is on the heart. Or rather, for God to transform the heart so that we might fear Him. Worshiping God starts in the heart. We need God to change our hearts. So we have true word obeying, God submitting, Jesus devoted worship. I, 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 can't, I can't do that for you. I can't. I can give you ways by which you can do that. Our mouths speak what fills our hearts. What's filling your heart? Is Christ filling your heart? Is the gospel filling your heart? Is the truth filling your heart? 
We need God to bring a transformation in our hearts, to our hearts. Only a transformed heart can bow down in word obeying, God submitting, Jesus devoted worship, and only God can change it. Only God can do it. Now I say, I said earlier we can't change our hearts. It's true. And yet as Christians we work with the Spirit to change us. That's true. But it still takes us and many of the things that are happening in our heart. Because it starts here. That's where true change happens. May Jesus our King be the one to transform us. We need transformation. We need transformation. I'll, I'll end with this. Did I tell you, I was talking to a guy who's an atheist. Did I tell you about this? This is hilarious. He was an atheist and I was talking about how the evidence was all there in front of him and blah, blah, blah. And then within the conversation, I can't remember, but I do remember he said this. Well, it's like you need to have a transformation. <laughs> and I said, why, yes, that's exactly what the Bible calls it. He said it, not me. And that's what triggered my thinking this past week. That's exactly what this passage is talking about. We need transformation. That's exactly what we need. God, we pray that by the power of the spirits, as we've seen from the word of God, we've seen the living word, Jesus, in the written word, your written word. Transform us. May it start from our hearts so we will be a people who truly worship, who have word-obeying, God-submitting, Jesus-devoted worship. That's what we pray. And for those who don't know Jesus, only you can do that. And for those of us who do know Jesus, only you can do that as well. And yet we work with you. Give us grace to submit ourselves to your, your work by the power of the Spirit. Bring real change in us, we pray. I want to encourage you as we do each week to take a few moments Let your mind think, dwell, ponder on these things. These things that we've seen in Matthew's gospel. We'll do our time of giving afterwards and we'll sing a couple songs, closing prayer, those things that we do. Our traditions. And even this is a tradition. I want to encourage you to Make this tradition meaningful by which you can sit and think and ponder and let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Just a few moments to think of these things.